opportunity to gather and really to hear from you. We ask that you would help us to open our hearts and our minds to your Holy Spirit tonight and what he wants to say. I ask God that you would apply changes to our minds, changes to our ways, our thinking, God, as you would see fit tonight. And I ask you, we invite you to challenge us. We invite you, God, to speak to us. And I pray, Father, we can receive that which you want to hand out, that which you want to give tonight. We give you thanks, and we ask God for you to lead, you to guide, and we thank you for being here in our midst. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 If you have your Bibles, uh, or a Bible, there's some available on the table or wherever, or your mobile device, we're going to look at Romans uh, chapter 1 and verse 5. That's where we're going to start out tonight anyway. Romans 1.5. Somebody read that when you get it. We receive grace and possibly to call all the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. Alright, thanks for, for reading that. Uh, there are th three things I got out of this the passage that I want to share with you, and there's a bunch of stuff in between. But uh, the first had to do with receiving God's grace. The, the passage reads, we, there, uh, that use of the plural is um, kind of a, it's a device, literary device that was used at the time uh, that people that were in charge of things or that had a certain dispensation uh, didn't want people to feel badly and so they would use the term we. You know, people do that now. Uh, if, if you ask a question instead of saying, you know, you say, hey, you know, uh, it's really, it's, you know, we just want to say thanks for Whatever it is, oh, we really enjoyed ourselves, even if it was just you. I don't know if you've ever heard of that before or anything, but people do that quite a bit. Anyway, that's what it is, literary device, and the other portions of the sentence structure that's used there, it was Paul saying that he had received grace. That's what he was saying. And, and I think there, there's something important about that, and the only reason I'm bringing this out is because there's something important about each of us alone, I, not we, Receiving God's grace. Uh, I think that a lot of times we, we think in terms of the we and the group thing. Uh, we lose track of I. And there's you, I, we, in the sense of each of us as individuals need to receive that grace. Uh, the grace has been given for you, for me, for the person sitting next to you. But each of us needs to receive that. Because it's one thing to, to talk about grace in a general sense that... God pours out His grace. What do you think of when you think of grace, by the way? What do you think of? Deserved. Okay, the, the traditional, the very traditional uh, evangelical definition of grace is God's unmerited or God's undeserved favor. All right, and a lot of times when I apply that into our language, because we don't really talk like that, we'll, we'll say, you know, God likes you. Why does God like you? Because he wants to like you. Uh, you don't do anything to earn that. He just likes you. And so the idea behind grace is a favor. 
And if you look at grace in the Bible, like if you do a word study on grace, start looking it up everywhere it appears, it has a bunch of different meanings because it's applied to a bunch of different situations in your life. Think about you know, what it means to have someone's favor. Let's say that you had the favor of, I don't know who, uh, the person who's in charge where you work. Okay? And let's say, I'm not saying you do, I'm just saying let's pretend you do. And let's say you had their favor and that they were just, they were looking out for you all the time, they were on your side, they were like really uh, making sure that you were moving ahead in whatever your job is and they've taken care of you. When somebody complained, they just swept to the side because they got favor and all that. Think about how many things in your life that could affect. Right? And, and this is why I'm saying it's used in a bunch of different ways in the Bible because it could be, well, I really, I really had the favor of the boss today because I got an extra half hour for lunch. Or I really had the favor of the boss today because they gave me a great report for what I was doing. I really had the favor of the boss today because I, was, uh, I forgot to do something and they said, don't worry about it. And they forgave me for it. I really had the favor of the boss today because uh, they were super nice to me. And I felt really wanted and I felt really valued today at work. Or I really had the favor of the boss today because they gave me that raise I was looking for. Now you see how many different things that that can affect? Well that's the idea behind it is that God's grace and the grace that God pours out onto his people, it's not just one thing. Most people think of grace as being the idea of pardoning grace. In other words, that God forgives our sins. Which is true. But it's more than that. That when the God of the universe has chosen to show you favor, the God of the universe has chosen to like you, that can and should affect other parts of your life. That should affect a lot of things in your life. It should affect the way you see things, the way you expect things to happen in your life. It should have an effect on how you're looking at things around you, even people around you. It should affect the way you handle people that treat you poorly or people that treat you well. It should have a lot of things to do with the relationships that you're in in your life too. So I, I guess I, I'm sharing all of that because I want you to begin to expand your view of what that means and begin to see it a little bit differently. And the second reason I'm sharing all that with you is, is that, and I don't want to forget the first part of this verse, we need to receive that. We need to receive it. God's not forcing His grace on us. He doesn't force His grace on you. In other words, if you don't want it, and you like, don't think you deserve it, which is against the whole definition of what grace is, but people think that, and they feel that way, then it, you're not receiving does that mean there's no grace out there? There's plenty of grace out there. Does that mean God doesn't like you? Yeah, of course He likes you. There's been people in my life, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, where there's been people in my life that I've really liked them, but they have convinced themselves in their mind that I don't like them. And so how do you think they respond to me when I try to be nice to them? What's the response? If you don't think somebody likes you, and they come up and they're trying to be nice to you, what do you think? Why are you making fun of me? Yeah, why are you making fun of me? Why are you being a jerk? Shut up. You know, I'm just like, hey, I'm just trying to be nice over here. Because you know? <laughs> in my mind, I'm, you know, I like the person. But if they're convinced I don't like them, 
It affects the way they treat me. And it affects the way they receive what I'm trying to do in their life. It affects the way they communicate with me. It affects the way that they're going to communicate with other people about it. Yeah, that Andy keeps coming up to me and making fun of me all the time. Oh, Mr. Nice Guy, I know he hates my guts. He even tell other people that. Really? Well, it's funny that that actually happens. Because what's in your mind and what's in your heart, it affects the way you're going to hear something, the way you're going to receive something. You know, two people can read the same verse out of the Bible and get two different things out of it. That happens a lot. You might read a verse out of the Bible that has talks about God's grace and His love, and at the end of the verse it says something about, uh, you know, you might read a verse, okay, let me think of one, that God's blessing rests on those who obey Him and His curse rests upon those that don't. God curses. I'm cursed! <laughs> you know, and another person reads that like, yeah, blessing, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it affects that, right? Same verbs. It's the same exact word, and yet you're going to see it totally different way. You're going to receive something totally different from it. So we have to, or if we're going to really experience grace, we need to receive it. Uh, a definition I read today about God's grace is that it's effective divine power in the experience of man. Meaning it goes far beyond one thing. But it is effective divine power in our everyday experience. At least that's what it should be. Alright, let's look at some verses. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8-9. And then 2 Corinthians 9, 8. 8, 9, and 9, 8. Unless I'm just making that up, then we'll, we'll see. Mm -hmm. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says something. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Okay, what do you hear in that verse? Somebody tell me what you heard in that. Became poor. Who? Jesus. Okay. What else? What else? Somebody else. So Jesus became poor. We can become rich. We were made rich. Alright. And what was the first word? First few words there? Something we're talking about right now? Grace. Alright, so it has something to do with grace. Alright, that has, that has a lot to do with grace. And so it's manifesting dynamically manifesting itself in that way. That because he became poor, because he gave everything, because he poured himself out, we've been given abundantly. That's grace. That's effective divine power that should be affecting our experience today, now. Alright, 2 Corinthians 9 8. Here's a different side. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Alright, thanks for, for reading that. So, so God's blessing on us, the riches that were spoken of in 8 9, 
It talked about that he was made poor that we might be made rich. You see a better definition of that and that he pours out an abundance into our life for what purpose? What's the last part of that verse, Don? In every good work. In every good work. So there's something that needs to manifest through our lives too. And that's that effective divine power that experience, well, what's the fruit of that in our life? Well, there's, there needs to be some manifestation of that. It's not just an idea. It's not just a concept. It's not just something we talk about that we define in some abstract way, but there needs to be something, some reality to it. Something that actually manifests in a way that we can actually see it or touch it or feel it. Or, or experience it in some way and that other people can experience in some way too. The practicality of what he's talking about here is that it needs to manifest in some way or another in our lives. It's not enough to say God's grace or whatever that is. Well, it's his unmerited favor. Okay, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, I don't know. Well, it needs to look like something. It needs to mean something, but it also needs to manifest as something in our lives. And that becomes the real issue of the gospel. Is that we can talk about the gospel all we want. We can talk about concepts like salvation and grace and forgiveness and pardon and all those things. And sanctification and justification and all those things. And yet if they don't manifest somehow in and through our lives, what do they mean? Practically nothing. Practically they mean nothing if there's no manifestation of what the meaning really is. Jesus didn't come in the flesh that we can live a secret life in the Spirit. He came in the flesh so that we could live out our lives in a physical way that matters. He made himself poor. He poured himself out, as it says in Philippians, of everything that he might become a human being so that we might have an experience and a manifestation of the living God in and through our lives like he did. He became the first fruits. He became the firstborn. He became that example for a reason. And so something needs to shift in us as we begin to receive of that grace. There's another verse there, just real quick. Romans 3.24. And so what I want you to see through those two verses in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, and 9, 8 is that there's a dynamic relationship there. There's a dynamic that goes on between us and God and what that should look like as He manifests that grace manifests in our life. Alright, Romans 3.24. Three. No one justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Alright, so there's a word there used, justify. We're justified freely by His grace. Okay, I'm going to give you a practical thing with that. Just real quick. I, it's a verse that, this is kind of a rabbit trail, but the verse says that. What, so what would be the manifestation of him justifying us? The answer to that is you stop justifying yourself. If you really believe that by his grace you're justified, 
Stop justifying yourself. What do I mean by that? Stop excusing yourself. Stop excusing your behavior. Stop excusing your disobedience. Stop lying about it. Stop pretending you're somebody you're not. See, that's how we justify ourselves. We, we talk about, well, I just don't have enough faith for that, or I don't have this, or I don't have that, or maybe it's just not my time. We make excuses just to do what we want. That's, why, that's how we justify ourselves. You want to do what you want, just go do it. There's no need to justify that because your justification is bogus anyway. Your justification means nothing. It just makes you feel better. Well, you don't need to do it. The real fact of the matter is, is that if you're just going to go do whatever you want to do, make that decision and go do it. You'll be a lot happier than, than living some lie or living in between certain things and, and not really living the truth or not living in a way that other people or you can experience other people in reality. So if Jesus, if part of his grace is to bring justification into our lives, let it. Let him justify you. And your role in that is just to be you. You have failures? Okay. You, you, you messed up? Alright, were you disobedient? Then you were disobedient. Did you choose to do what you wanted to do instead of what God wanted you to do? Alright, don't lie about it. Don't make any excuse for it. That's just what you did. It is no secret that we're selfish. It's no secret that we... We, we want you know whatever we want, when we want it. There's no secret to that. And there's no secret to the fact that God is in the business of changing our hearts and changing our minds about it. And so the bottom line to that is if we're constantly making excuses and justifying ourselves in, in our disobedience, how are we ever going to change? That doesn't lead to change. That leads to better excuses. At least the better arguments that we make in our own brain to justify what we want to do. We need to stop with that so that God can get in the business and we can participate in the business of changing our minds about it and changing our hearts about it. I don't want to talk about what God wants me to do. I just want to do it. I don't want to talk about why I'm not doing it. I just want to do it. And that's kind of where God leads us into is into that place. But that's a work of grace in us. It is a work of grace for you to be honest with yourself. It's a work of grace for you to be honest with other people. Vulnerability is a work of grace in us. But it's a realization that God's already justified us. I'm not going to make it happen anyway. I can pretend. That's what we do when we justify ourselves. We pretend. I can pretend about it. But the reality of it is it's either Him doing it, it's either him manifesting that justification through our life or it doesn't matter. So through Paul, he said, I received God's grace. Well, how was that manifest through him? It was manifest through him in who God called him to be and him answering that call. Him being willing to go about the work that God had called him to. So it, it manifests in endurance, authority, privileges as a Christian, whatever it is teaching authority that he had or whatever. Those are some of the manifestations of it. There are more. But the, the result of grace in his life were, was who he was. The result was who he was, who he was writing, that person that was writing to the Romans right then. His authority, he recognized something, and, and this verse says this too, but he, 
he recognized that what was his authority to speak? Well, it was derived from God. He did not derive authority from his thoughts, his understanding, or his self-approval. That's not where authority comes from. Authority comes from Jesus alone. How do I know Jesus alone? Well, because the Bible says, right before the Great Commission, all authority was given to Jesus. All authority. And then he says, Go therefore and teach all nations. So any authority that we're ever going to have, any authority that will ever manifest through our life when it comes to the kingdom of God is going to come from Jesus. And that's it. So whatever those little things in our head are, and I've heard guys teach on this, I've heard guys talk about this, about whatever you think it is. I gotta do this, I gotta be that, I've gotta whatever it is. Authority will come from Jesus alone. That's it. So we need to, if we have to, change our minds about that. And 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 begin to change our minds about how God's going to use us and when He's going to use us. Because uh, people, let's say, for example, people that are on the prayer team, somebody comes up to you on a Sunday morning and they say, hey, uh, can you pray for me? I really want uh, some healing. Well, what if you're not feeling it that morning? You're just not going to pray for them? I mean, seriously? You're just not, right? Are you going to pray for them? You give it a shot? You're going to pray for them. Well, the, the thing is, that it doesn't matter if you're feeling it or not. Jesus is feeling it. <laughs> All right? And that's the thing. And it's like, I might not be feeling it. I, I may not feel like I've got much to say. Or I might feel like I don't, I'm not really where I want to be with God right now. Or I'm not really where I want to you know, be you know, like spiritually right now. And that happens a lot. Well, then I'm thankful that it's not about me. All right, the only part that's about me is, am I separated enough in my, whatever my weakness is, am I separated enough from that when it comes to the things of God to believe that all authority has been given Him and I'm going therefore and allowing that authority to manifest through my life? Can I separate it that much? Because Paul, he had authority in his flesh. And somehow he had to separate that when he did ministry. Timothy had stomach problems. He was often infirm. The Bible says he was often sick. But he had to separate that somehow from the call that God had in his life to go forth and do what God called him to do as a young pastor. He had to separate somehow. I mean, he didn't become two people. He's the same person. But there's a realization in that is that we're going about the kingdom work. We're going about the work that God has called us to do. We're going about that which He has poured out His grace into our life and allow that to manifest through us right then. Regardless of how we feel. I've had some of the best uh, times of praying over people when I've been the sickest. Because I wasn't overthinking it. I was just doing it. And that's just a fact. Times I'm tired, times I don't, you know, I'm not really thinking right, or times where I just feel like I just want to go to bed or something. 
when I used to travel, I'd end up at places and I'd get in like at 2 o'clock in the morning, it'd be an 8 o'clock service or something. Or we'd flown into places overseas when we, you know, I was on a flight delay one time out of Los Angeles and ended up in this place uh, like a day late. Got picked up at the airport and taken directly to a service I had to preach at and do ministry at. Halfway around the world. Am I feeling that? I'm not feeling anything. I'm feeling like I'm 12 hours off and I need to go to bed. That's what I'm feeling. But those are the times that if we have just the right understanding of how God does things, the right understanding of the economy that we're a part of in the kingdom, that God will just blow that up, manifest himself through that if we'll allow it. And I've seen it time and time again. Somebody read Galatians 1.12. did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. All right. So what you have there is, is Paul just saying, he's talking to the Galatian church, but it's like, where does it all come from? It comes from him. It comes from Jesus, from the one who's given all authority. It's that revelation that Jesus brings into our life. And he's making sure to let them know that. Man doesn't give it to you. Man can't take it away. Man doesn't, doesn't pour it out on you and they can't make it null and void. It comes from Jesus. It's, his, it's a manifestation of His grace in and through our life. A manifestation of His revelation in and through our life. Then it all belongs to Him. And we know He declares His gifts and calling are without repentance. So we're not worried about it. And why aren't we worried about it? Because Paul even gives the motive here in Romans 1.5. He says, in order to bring glory to Him, to God. That's the, the motivation, but that's also the, the, that's the basis of the divine economy that we're talking about in the kingdom, that we're now a part of, that Paul was proclaiming he was a part of, is that there's an economy to this and it all focuses on bringing glory to God. So you don't feel it. You're tired. You're worn out. You don't, you know, you don't feel particularly spiritual. You messed up the day before. You got in an argument uh, with your, your brother or your sister on the way to church, whatever it was. And, or you're rude to somebody on the road. And you cut somebody off on the highway. And you went down 690 giving each other the finger all the way to the two laughing ways. Whatever happened. All right? And you get here. And you're not feeling it. Well, the economy of it all is, is that you're a part of something bigger than yourself. And that thing that you're a part of that's bigger than yourself is to bring glory to God. And so He, it, who is, he is also a part of that economy. He is manifesting Himself in and through you in the work of the kingdom that's going to take place that morning. Whether you feel it or you don't. If you have the right mentality for it. If you allow it. Because it's just as easy, I guess, to get all mad about something and just shut down and not be used at all. And so, I'm going to tell you a little secret about that, though. If that's your personality, 
and you're going to shut down and not be used at all every time you don't feel it or conflict comes your way before you get to church or you feel like you messed up or whatever, there, there's a little thing that's going to keep happening to you. Every time you shut down like that, all those things are going to start happening to you every time you're supposed to minister. Because somebody just figured out an effective way to shut down the economy of the kingdom around you. Alright? And we do have an enemy. And so everybody involved in this economy that God has, the economy of the kingdom, they know that you're going to have bad days. God knows. He knows you're going to have tough days. He knows that you're not going to feel it. He knows that you're not going to uh, be spiritual sometimes. You're not going to feel spiritual, whatever it is. He knows that. He knows that there's going to be people that come your way that are going to make you mad. There's going to be conflict that arises. All these things are going to happen. He knows that. But he, that's why he's involved in it. That's why he's a part of it all. That we're not alone. We're not just, it's not just on us, but we're in this with him together. Not only with God together, but with each other together. And there's a much bigger economy going on here than just you. And so whether you're feeling it, you're not feeling it, whether you're mad, you're not mad, you're angry, you're not angry, you're spiritual, you're not spiritual, you know, those other things, we move forward together with him and that's what grace is all about. We're going to bring glory to Him. He's going to bring glory to His work and to His name. Through you. If you don't throw a wrench in the cod. Just don't throw the wrench in the cod. Just keep moving. Keep going. Because the call, His call, the gifts that He gives us, those are easy things to understand about grace. Is that he, he pours out, he says, call, okay, I'll do this. Okay, I'm going to give you the gifts to do it. Alright, i got the gifts to do it. I received that. Well, what about the success? All of a sudden, that just becomes us. Success and failure just become us after that point. That it was his call to begin with. It's his gifts that he's pouring out into our life. Well, we can accept that, right? Alright, well, what about success? Well, that's his too. What about failure? Well, he's a part of that economy, too. Right? Sometimes I think I fail at stuff, and uh, it's not. There'll be times where I'll get done teaching or something, and I'll think, man, that was a rambling mess right there. I just rambled, and I, yeah, I feel like I'm still rambling. After an hour, I have no idea what I said. And it'll be after those moments where I'm thinking, that was terrible. <laughs> Somebody will come up and say, hey, that was a great teaching. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking to myself, no, it wasn't. That was terrible, but okay, thanks. <laughs> I've learned to just say thanks. I keep thinking to myself, thank you, God, that somebody pulled a nugget of truth out of that <laughs> indecipherable mess that just happened there. Because it does happen. And there are those moments. There's sometimes I finish a teaching too where I think, that was awesome. And I look out and everybody's just sleeping. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of the teaching today? That yeah, was all right. <laughs> what do I know? Yeah, you're yeah. talking about stuff. Yeah. That was good. I like what you said about the thing. There. God? Yeah, that was good. Yeah. Devil's bad, covered that. Jesus, yeah. The 
Jesus. Yeah. You're talking about Jesus, right? <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks for listening. All right, so, so that's kingdom life, though. And what I just talked about, that's kingdom life. That call, okay, kingdom life. Gifts, pours them out. Gets the Holy Spirit, we're empowered. Kingdom life, success. Failure, kingdom life. That's kingdom life. And that proceeds from what the kingdom is. The, the basic definition of kingdom in the Bible is the actual reign and rule of God himself. So, thy kingdom come, your kingdom, your reign and rule come in my life as it is in heaven. That's the Lord's Prayer. So, so the actual, the, the basic, the, the simplest understanding of kingdom is God's reign and rule. And so what proceeds from that is the kingdom life. That's that grace, that's that love, that's that call, that's that, the gifts, those successes, failures, it proceeds from that. And that drives that economy to what end? That God is glorified. So we get down to Paul, the last couple of things he says in these verses. He says uh, a couple of things that are really important. Talking about the Gentiles that he's called to. And he reveals the design of the gospel in, the, in this verse. And there's a very simple design, a very basic design. And what he says here is this, the design of the gospel is to, and I'm going to use, the, the word for is used there, but that word means to produce or induce. Right. Produce or induce. Two things. That the design of the gospel is to produce or induce two things. One is faith and the other is obedience. Faith and obedience. That's the design of the gospel. So design of the gospel, what it's made for producing, inducing in a person is faith and obedience. In other words, believing God and doing what He says. You may have heard this before. So, uh, every year uh, when I have a new intern, I ask them a question on the second, usually the second meeting, because that's usually the second chapter of Bonhoeffer. Uh, when Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the Cost of Discipleship talks about faith and obedience. And I asked them a question, I said, well, which comes first? And uh, Bonhoeffer, in his book, he doesn't really answer that. He, he describes it as two sides of the same coin, that faith and obedience come together, that they are inseparable. But I force the issue, this just, just happened today, actually, so it's kind of funny. <laughs> but I force the issue every time, and I ask, well, if you had to choose and I have a little pool going in my head what they're going to say because I, I, you know, I have an idea of who they are by the time we're at the second meeting. Uh, so I asked them, I said, if, you don't have to answer this, by the way. If you had to choose, I'm flipping the coin of faith and obedience. Which came first? What are you going to choose? Faith or obedience? Which comes first? And so I asked the question. Um... Uh, I'll give you a little hint how people normally answer. If the person was raised in church 
if they have a Christian background and if they are you know been practicing as Christians, they would normally say faith. That's the normal answer for a person raised in the church. If the person is not raised in the church, just somebody who was a heathen and pagan <laughs> or whoever, and they come into the knowledge of Christ late, kind of like I did, and they uh, and I ask them which comes first, they'll normally say obedience. Or if they haven't been serving God for a while, you know, and they come back to the faith, they'll normally say obedience. So I find that kind of interesting uh, because I think that there are a couple reasons for that. And uh, one of the reasons I shared today uh, is that uh, by choosing faith, uh, let's, let's say a person chose faith. Well, part of the issue with choosing faith is this, that you can always say you don't have enough faith. All right, Faith is subjective. So your faith level might be 10 times the amount of the person sitting next to you. Or it might be 10 times the amount of the person that you know, and that's in church, that sits by you, or whatever. It could be, but in your mind, it might be little. So it's very subjective. It's like, well, I just don't have enough faith. All right? and, and if that is the case, then the, the way that, let's say, if faith comes first, and, and you make a decision based on faith over obedience, then your decision that you make is going to be based on your own subjective evaluation of what your faith is, which could be right on the money or way off, right? That's, the, that's kind of how subjective things go. Yeah. But like, I guess what I see is like you obey because you have faith, or like, because obedience comes faith. Because it's like every time you like step out and try, and you see like God's doing stuff anyway, and your faith can build. Mm -hmm. Also, there's like sometimes type of faith in there because you have faith to obey. Right. Yeah, it, it, I'm not debating whether it's two sides of the same coin. I think they're directly related to each other. I do believe, though, that if a person places faith in a position where that dictates what they're going to do, they're less likely to do it. That means, let's say, God speaks to you and says, all right, I want you to go out and I want you to talk to that guy and give him a word of prophecy. Just run right out there and get him. Give word prophecy. Now, if faith is dictating that to you, you're going to say, I don't think I have enough faith for that. I'm not oh, feeling that right now. now. <laughs> but now, if God said, I want you to go out and I want you to talk to that guy, and you let obedience, I'll say, all right, I'll go out and do it. I'm not feeling it, but I'll go do it. And see what God does with that. Now, let's say you have a great experience, and God used you in that. What's going to happen the next time that God says that? You're going to have a little more faith, right? And a little more faith, and a little more faith every time that happens. All right? So, and I did the, the whole context to this issue is around the disciples. I mean, when, when Jesus called the disciples, they, didn't, they hadn't been with him for years then. You know? 
they might have heard him speak or they might have seen him or something, but they, had to, they said, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. They had to drop their nets and follow him. Quit your job. Yeah. I mean, that was, you know, yeah. Or, or Levi had to drop all his tax collector stuff and go follow him. So, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where, yeah, they're directly related. I believe they're directly related. But I, but I think... And again, this is my perspective, and this is just always my perspective on this. I think that obedience needs to rule the day, however. And I think it's through that that faith is built in us and continues to be built in us. And sure, as you get more faith and you get more experience in, in doing what God tells you to do, then it's easier to obey Him. It just really is, and it's easier to obey Him. It's easier to have faith in Him. As you obey Him and you see Him honoring what you're doing. All of those things work together and they build one another up. The problem is, is that if we're just going to live in a subjective spot where, yeah, I just don't have the faith for that. Well, when are we ever going to build up either one? You see, obedience is objective. Pretty much. You're either going to do it or you're not. <laughs> and, 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 and so, if you don't do it, and you're using the whole faith thing, you just justify your behavior. Oh, I just didn't have enough faith. That's why I didn't do it. Oh, okay. That's all right. And then what happens the next time God tells you to do something? Yeah, I'm still not there yet. Oh, okay, that's fine. How about the next time, or the next time, or the next time, or the next time? What's getting built there? Your ability to make excuses is getting built. Your ability to justify your disobedience is getting built. That's what's being built. But we live in a system, the Christian system, that's built into it. Right? That's why I believe, that's why the Christians that come along, that I ask that question, the church people that come along that I ask that question to, always say faith. Why? Because they've been preconditioned to say that because they can live in a subjective world and not do what God tells them to do and just do whatever they want and feel okay about it. That's all. So the only answer really is faith to them. The person that's thinking to themselves, yeah, I already messed that up. I don't think I want to do that again. They're thinking, I better do what God tells me to do. They're the obedience people. Right? <laughs> and they don't feel the need to justify themselves. Yeah, I didn't do that last night. I just didn't feel like it. <laughs> okay. And I'd rather hear that every day than any of those other excuses. I'd rather have somebody just honestly tell me, like, yeah, man, I'm not doing that. <laughs> All right. Then I can pray God will change their mind. I mean, I don't know, you know, at least we're not dealing, I'm not trying to break down excuses every day, trying to, you know, get them to see, no, that's not reality. Here's the reality of the thing. You don't want to do it, and so you're not going to do it. That's reality. All right, if you can see that as reality, well, you're in a spot where God can change you then. But if you're not even in a spot of reality, how much further do you have to go to change? It's like, well, first I need to see the truth. Then after I see the truth, then I have to allow God to work in my heart. Now I let God work in my heart and hopefully not run back to my excuses before it's done. And then maybe I'll change. I don't, I don't know if you can see the advantage of just being honest about it. But there's a huge advantage to that. So, so the design of the gospel is, is to induce those things. Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. You know, Jesus went out teaching and preaching, and then they described what he taught. 
He said, repent and believe the gospel. That was it. Okay. And that was to induce or produce faith and obedience in people. Yeah. And that's what God's doing in us. Okay, somebody look at Romans 16. Romans 16, 26. But now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that all nations might believe and obey Him. Alright. Alright, that's another spot where they talk about those two things together. Alright, so the revelation, the understanding, the Holy Spirit work, the prophetic work, all those things, the gospel, the design is to produce faith and obedience to the nations. And then as you go down smaller to people in the nations and go down smaller to us, to me. That's the design of the gospel. And so when the gospel is taught and preached, unless you somehow morph it, that's what it should produce in people. Over time. I'm not talking about I run to somebody on the street and it's going to produce that because I talked to him about Jesus. But over time, the gospel should produce faith and obedience. That's what it should do. Now, it's, it's quite obvious that the way that things are done now, it, what is given as the gospel doesn't do that. Well, there's reasons for that. People don't like some of the message of the gospel, so they leave it out. It's uncomfortable for people, so they leave it out. Calling somebody to discipleship, that's uncomfortable. Oh, you mean I can't just do whatever I want to do? No. You mean three out of four uh, weeks isn't good enough? I mean, really? You want what? Oh, no, I don't have time for that. I go on and on. I mean, that's kind of just the way it goes. But I think there's more to it than what's being presented in a lot of ways. And, and I think we're doing people a disservice. We're doing the kingdom a disservice by not just expecting more. That this has got to mean something more. There's got to be some reality to what we believe. That we're not just making a profession. We're not just saying things. But things are actually happening. You know when Jesus called the disciples? And you guys can look this up. It's kind of an interesting point on this. They really don't, they really don't say much about how they answered him verbally. There's a certain group of disciples he called that it does describe what they answered him verbally. But you start looking at like Andrew and Simon or, or Levi and some of these other disciples when he called them. What does it say? It says he called them and they dropped their nets and followed him. Right? Did they say yes? Does it matter? What did what, they record? Think about the disciples they did record. 
Jesus said, come and follow me. And what was one of the guys recorded? said, well, first let me uh, go and bury my father. Yeah. Yeah. Let the dead bury their own dead. Come follow me. No. Let me go say goodbye to my family. No. Let me do this. Let me do that. No. You see, the ones that answered with a word, they didn't end up going. Yeah, talky, talky, talky. Yeah. Talk all about it. The, the manifestation of their obedience was that they actually did something right. The manifestation of the answer to the call was an actual life change. They actually physically followed him. It wasn't like, yeah, I'll do that. When I'm good and ready. <laughs> and it didn't work out, right? So, so the reality of the gospel is that there's more to it than just agreeing with an idea. There's more to it than just saying, okay, yeah, that sounds good to me, whatever. And you see, uh, you see this issue come up in John chapter 6. is a great example of this where Jesus preaches a gospel where he challenges people. He challenges them with something that they couldn't understand. And, and when he did that, they all left. Except for the twelve, who had nowhere better to be. And, and you see that every now and then. I, I, you'd think that Jesus would have the biggest megachurch in the world. <laughs> yeah, if, that, if he was preaching the gospel, which he was, I mean, it's his gospel, right? Shouldn't he have had the biggest megachurch in the world? He probably should have. I mean, he didn't know our church growth techniques and everything, you know, back then. But you'd think that if that was the purpose of the gospel, was to build, you know, humongous groups of people together, that he'd have been able to do that and maintain it. But at the end of his ministry, I mean, he had thousands of people come listen to him. He had thousands of people that he ministered to. He had thousands of people that uh, would be there physically. And yet, you know, John 6, he thinned them down to 12, out of about five, ten thousand, 10,000, he thinned down to 12, in a matter of verses. And then at the very end, what he was left with, on the day of Pentecost, was 120 people. That was it. 120. That's something. So, the gospel must be something else. I just want to say that. All right, the gospel must be something else than just gathering people. In fact, I think it's a lot more to do with, as I said before, faith and obedience. And people don't like that word obedience. They like the word faith because it's subjective and you can say anything you want about it. But the word obedience is objective and people just don't like it. So that's going to thin the crowd. Now I'm talking to you guys. You know, this is our Bible study and everything. And you know, I figured you know where I'm coming from a little bit better. But I really believe it. It's nothing I haven't said to most of you at least once in your life. But it's a challenge. It's a challenge to us. It's a reminder to us. And it, don't forget what I started with here and what I'm talking about. And that is the grace that God gives us to go about his business. 
We're going to fail? Yep. We're going to mess up? Yep. We're going to be unspiritual? Yep. We're not going to be where God wants us to be sometimes? Yep. We're going to flat out not do what He tells us to do sometimes? Yeah, sometimes. It's going to happen. But we need to live as a people who are receiving His grace. Today, tomorrow, the next day, are people who live in that grace. And get into that economy of the kingdom and live there. Just taking our part in it. Just doing our part in that economy. And finding that, that place that God has for us to, to live and to grow and be used by Him. No matter what that is. Right, any questions or anything? Today, buy a big church with my boss. I was like, wow, they're really successful. And I looked at him like, at what? He said, well, well, well get, getting lots of people. <laughs> and I was like, yes. I'm like, well, I mean, I can say what they're successful at. They're successful at getting people and money. And money they that's what I said. I mean, I don't know. They, make, they probably do a lot of good things. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know. It's good. But I mean, yeah, that, that represents, though, a certain mentality that I think as individuals we need to be careful of not having. Because if we base our success in the kingdom on what? Whatever you do. Whatever you base it on. What's the natural human thing to base it on? Yeah, whatever it is. You know, I mean, it could be anything. You know, what's a successful job? I make lots of money. Is it really? I don't know about that. What's the economy of the kingdom on that? Not the economy of the United States. What's the economy of the kingdom on that? You know, what's a successful job? I, it's going to be different a little bit. What's a successful whatever? Just fill in the blank, you know. <laughs> got to be careful. Because we, we've been programmed to think, well, this is successful or that's successful or whatever it is. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. Let's ask God about that. Let's let Him define that for us. He probably does somewhere. You know, somewhere in the scriptures, He probably does define it. Yeah. This is kind of like, I guess, like a smile, like your heart is smiling more. Like on the missions trip to Cleveland, I was just really happy for Gary. Like the old grandma inside of me was like, yeah, come on, little buddy. Like, I just thought it was cool. Like, he wasn't afraid to look strange. Father, thanks for uh, 
Just thanks for grace. Uh, it's far out. And I uh, thank you that it infuses our lives. It's dynamic. It, uh, it goes from uh, maybe what we've categorized or boxed it up in our brain to just so much more in and through our lives. And I, I thank you that you want to manifest that grace in so many ways in and through our life. And I pray, God, that we will not only be open to that, but we will really just allow your grace to flow through us. Allow your grace to flow into situations, into circumstances, into relationships, into decisions that need to be made. All the things that we face in our life that, that God, your grace would, would lead us, empower us, would call us, would uh, really just uh, dynamically affect us in the economy and work of the kingdom that you've called us to. So God, I pray that we would not limit. We would not artificially draw a line anywhere, but we would just go with the flow that you have for us and for our lives. I ask God that you teach us uh, to, to not make excuses. You teach us to not pretend. You teach us not to put ourselves in positions where we're not living in any kind of reality. But I pray that we would find our place in reality, in truth, we find our place, God, right before you. And, and whatever that reality is, whatever that truth is, that, God, you would do your work in us. Do your work of change. Do your work of grace in us. That, God, we would be more and more and more the man or the woman that you've called us to be. So, God, thanks. Thanks for your love for us. Thanks for the life that you're pouring out. Thanks for the opportunity to affect the world around us. Thank you, God, for the jobs you give us. Thank you for the, the ministry that you've put before us. Thank you for the opportunities to go other places. Thank you, God, for just the, the work of the kingdom that you've woven us into. We just say, God, have your way. Change our minds. Change our hearts. Have your way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. 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 All right. Thanks for coming, everybody. Good to see you.